Robots Radio. Games. Lore. Stories. Community. Just press play. Elder Scrolls Lorecast, a place where the Elder Scrolls community can come together to discuss the boundaries of our knowledge about the universe of the Elder Scrolls. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Elder Scrolls Lorecast. I am your host, Tom or Robots. You can call me either, and you may recognize me from shows such as the Fallout Lorecast. Uh, this is my second endeavor in doing a lore series. Uh, Fallout Lorecast is going great, and I'm expanding the Robots Radio suite of products into the Elder Scrolls universe. So this is the first episode. I want to give you a little bit of a background about me, who I am what the point of the show is and how this show is going to be different from other podcasts that are already available because there's a lot of really great other shows out there. There's a lot of shows that already do lore. So why start another podcast? Well, let's just say that my brand of podcast is a little bit different than the other ones. This show will be much more narrative focused and discussion oriented with the community. I'm doing the show as a singular host. Sometimes I'll have guests and things, but for the most part, I am your singular host taking you on a thought experiment, let's say, where we explore some segment of lore in the Elder Scrolls universe, some of the background, some of the history, some of the nitty gritty details, some of the conflicting views, depending on the different races that told the stories or, uh, you know, a variety of different things that create a little bit of a certain muddiness about what exactly happened in certain historical periods during the Elder Scrolls. Now, you're probably wondering, who am I? Who's this guy? And why does he have the credentials to bring us along on this journey? Well, for one thing, I am no expert. I am not the lore master of the Elder Scrolls universe. I'm a lot like all of you. I am a fan of these games, and I've been a fan of these games in this universe for a long time. I have played, I, so I tried to get into Morrowind and never could quite crack that nut back in the day, but Oblivion hooked me. I played through Oblivion. I've played through Skyrim. I've played a lot of Elder Scrolls online and uh, expansions and all those kinds of things. So I have, I have some good background, but I'm also doing some research before each of these shows to really dig into the things that I don't know enough about. I'm the kind of guy who, you know, gets lost in the wikis and will download all the books from Skyrim on my phone so I can read them whenever I'm waiting for something to happen <laughs> and I've got some extra time. Um, that's the kind of guy I am. Now, also, the other thing I'm going to do with this show is bring in some real world correlations. Uh, I have a background that's kind of unique to most people. I have two bachelor's degrees. I studied philosophy and world religions in college. And now I work in digital marketing because nobody wants to hire you to do a bunch of deep thinking for them. So you actually have to do some, you know, real world thinking in order to make some money. But uh, even starting with this first episode, I'm going to draw some corollaries and connections between some of the lore, some of the events that happen in Elder Scrolls and some real world things when, when possible and different ideas and the ways that they play together. 
So I hope this will be interesting to all of you. The Fallout Lorecast has gotten a tremendous response from the community. Everybody's very involved and it's actually growing very quickly. So I hope I can do the same thing with the Elder Scrolls universe and bring you guys something that is a little bit different and fun and something you can engage with. Now, on top of all of that, I really want to hit home my belief that shows like this are about connecting with the community, about bringing people together. Now, when I dive into a topic that you're interested in, that you are passionate about, that you have questions or want to dig deeper, I want to hear from you. Please reach out to me. Either send me a, an email at elderscrollslorecast at gmail.com or hit me up on Twitter. I'm posting lots of cool stuff on the Twitter account at ESO Lorecast. Um, either way, if you want to get something on the show, send a private message through Twitter, send me an email, contact me. You can, there's even a Discord channel I'll put in the uh, show notes that we can get in together and chat about all sorts of different kinds of lore stuff. So I would love to hear from you. The best and most interesting uh, responses I will highlight on the following episodes of these shows. And if, if you're the kind of person who's digging into this after it's been a few months and you're coming back to listen to some of these earlier episodes, I, I would love to revisit earlier topics. So d never be afraid if it, even if a few months or years have gone by to bring up an old topic and let's dig a little bit deeper. This is the kind of world where our information is going to keep growing and expanding with every new release, every new expansion for Elder Scrolls Online. When we finally get the next main Elder Scrolls game, I'm sure there's going to be some really interesting things going on there. So I want to keep this conversation going and I'd really love to hear what you guys have to say. That said, let's delve into our topic for this week. This is where you get off. Come with me. In the real world, every group of people have their own creation myth. It's something common across humanity. Every major people group, every major religion has some sort of story to represent figuratively or in some cases what they believe to be literally what happened at the very beginning of time. Even in science, we try to explore the very beginning of time because it's something we can measure back to. It's something that we can reach into with telescopes visual and audio telescopes that, sh that send us all the way back to the origins of our universe. In this way, the Elder Scrolls is no different. But what makes the Elder Scrolls universe even more like our own is that it was created by many voices. Every creation myth, whether we're talking about the Bible, the Hindu texts, or even the Native Americans, contains stories that were pulled together from multiple sources over a time period. No one of those stories was constructed by a single human individual in one place at one time with one cohesive storyline. And the Elder Scrolls is very similar to that. In fact, in Lawrence Schick's recent letter to the community, Lawrence Schick is the lore master of Elder Scrolls Online at Zenimax. And he's retiring. He's moving on uh, for, as he states, family reasons. And uh, I wish him the best of luck because that is an awesome job, Lawrence. And um, we've been we've been blessed to have somebody as interesting as you overseeing this community. Um, now, in his letter, he wrote specifically to us. And he noted that, and I'll read directly from his letter, Tamriel 
is an unusual fantasy world setting in that it was created over time by many different contributors rather than by one single vision. At some point, the folks at Bethesda Game Studios realized that for an ancient interactive world, that patchwork background was actually a virtue rather than a liability, something that should be recognized and incorporated into Tamriel's design. So the Brain Trust decided that all of the Elder Scrolls world's history, mythology, and culture, its lore, in short, would be delivered not from on high, but always from the viewpoints of characters who inhabited the world that they were describing. And these descriptions might vary or even contradict each other, leaving it up to the players to decide what was and wasn't true. And I love this. This is the way real world myths are created. Lots of voices over lots of time putting together a story, dealing with the story, dealing with the conflicts in the story, coming up with new explanations and new analogies for the way things actually work. And this is the setting. This is the foundation for the lore of this world that we love so much and why it is so rich and so interesting. It comes from many voices, including the players. Human beings have never existed in a world where communication was so easily managed before, where people who were creating and writing and contriving stories could hear feedback directly from the people reading those stories so quickly across so many people, not just a, a small group of people sitting at a campfire and making up a story and then getting feedback that night about, oh, that's, that was a dumb character. Why'd you come up with that? This is dozens and dozens and dozens, hundreds probably of different creators over the last several decades, putting together stories for you and me who live in a world with an internet where we can respond and we can co-create. This is a very interesting and unique situation where we are going through the process of creating a universe in a very organic sense, in a way that would have taken hundreds and hundreds of years in the past over just a few decades. It really is unique and interesting. So for this episode, I want to dive into the origins of this world, what we know about the creation story. Now to also set the stage, I want to go over just a little bit of some words and definitions. Uh, creation stories usually begin with a cosmology, the beginnings of the universe, how the world was created, that kind of thing. And in real world situations, most cosmologies are based around either a singular God, a monotheistic worldview, or multiple gods. But what is even more rare is this idea of a dualism. And Christianity has actually turned more into a dualistic cosmology over time, depending on the type of Christianity you practice. Originally, and this is very interesting stuff, um, Satan in the Old Testament isn't a, a sort of equal and opposite God type figure who wants the downfall of humanity and wants to undo the things that God does in this world. He, he's more of a prosecuting attorney angel let's say. And there's a, that's a whole new another topic and we're not going to dive into it. But specifically, the evolution and the change of Christianity into more of a dualism type cosmology was because of a connection to a faith that was equally old and also in the Middle East, 
whose origins were in the area of Iran originally, and that is Zoroastrianism. And Zoroastrianism has a dualism cosmology. And what's so interesting about the Zoroastrian cosmology is that it lines up in some ways very well with the Elder Scrolls. Here's what I mean. In the universe of the Elder Scrolls, according to elderscrolls.fandom.com, the Dawn era section of their wiki, it states under the creation section, the creation of the universe began with the chaos of the pre-universe. So we start with chaos. It's pretty common for most most creation stories. You start with kind of a, a nothingness or a chaotic nothingness. From this primordial nothingness, the twin forces of order and chaos arose in the form of Anu and Padme. Anu represented order and Padme represents chaos. And it's as if this nothingness divided itself into two. In Zoroastrianism, it's very similar. You have basically a god of order and a god of chaos. In Zoroastrianism, you have Ahura Mazda, which you may might recognize. Sometimes um, other games and stories and things pull from a lot of these old myths, uh, names and words that they reuse. Ahura Mazda, the one universal transcendent supreme being or wise lord. Now, the counter to Ahura Mazda is Angra Mayanyu. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, because I'm not a Zoroastrian and I don't live back then. Uh, quick little side note, Zoroastrianism is still practiced in parts of the world today. So it is a, still a living religion of the world. And so if I'm getting any of this wrong and you know better than I do, please uh, write in and, and you know let me know. Um, but Angra Mainyu is the chaotic uh, representative in contrast to the one universal order. Angra represents the destructive principle. So that's very interesting to me. Elder Scrolls has a very similar origin, dualistic origin approach as Zoroastrianism, which is pretty unique in the realm of our current world religions. So to move on with the wiki about Elder Scrolls, Anu and Padme both burst their own souls. So you have two primordial representatives of chaos and order that decide to birth their own souls. Ainus is Ainui L, and Padme is a name you might recognize from the series, Sithis. And the interplay between these two opposite forces create what is known as the Orbis. So you have Anu and Padme, basic forces of chaos and order, or order and chaos in that in that order. And then you have their souls, Anui L and Sithis. And those two come back together. So it's as if the primordial nothingness separates out into order and chaos. They both create their own souls, whatever that means. And then those two join together in some sort of overlap, some sort of uh, running into each other, which creates the Arbus. So what is the Arbus? Well, the Arbus is basically the universe. It includes Mundus, Oblivion, the Void, and Ethereus. So let's take this from the other direction out. Rather than out to in, let's go into out. If I'm, let's say I'm a Khajiit. I'm a Khajiit. Uh, uh, this one wants to know the origins of the world. And as a Khajiit, my world is centered around me. And I live in elsewhere. 
Where is elsewhere? Well, it's on the continent of Tamriel. Where is Tamriel? It is on the planet of Nern. Nern is within Mundus, the mortal plane, and outside of Mundus is Oblivion. Think of Oblivion as the darkness of night. And then peeking through Oblivion are little holes to things like the sun and stars. Those exist in Aetherius. And beyond Aetherius, there's the void. All of this is Arbus. Basically, all of the things that we can experience as myrrh or man or beast is Arbus. And Arbus is the place where Anuiel and Sithis interact. And it's what they created together through their interaction. So it's really interesting here. You have the separation of a void into two separate entities that create their own souls, which re-interact and create a something. And you have this whole process that basically creates a something, right? Now, how do you get back to understanding what was there before all of this? Well, that's, that's a good question. That's why this is myth, right? Now, after the creation of Arbus, the wiki goes on to explain that other beings began to form from the void. The first among these were Ariel, again, same name, but a being this time, and Lorcan, who were both the birth souls of Anuiel and Sithis, respectively. So the soul of Anu is Anuiel, and he births himself, Anuiel, and the soul of Padme is Sithis, who births Lorcan. And finally, we are now beyond souls to beings, Ariel the being and Lorcan. Ariel brought the concept of time into existence. With the genesis of time, the turbulent Arbus began to stabilize and other et-ada, E-T-apostrophe-A-D-A, were able to form their own identities, distinct from each other, and hundreds of other divine beings were formed. Now that brings up another question, what are the et-ada? Well, finally, we're getting more into the realm that our Khajiit friend is familiar with, at least on his regular interactions with other, other, you know, races of Tamriel. The Et-Ada are also called the original spirits, and they are things perceived and revered by the mortals as gods or spirits. To humans, these Et-Ada are the gods and demons. To the Odmer, the Adra, and the Daedra. The Adra and Daedra came to be once a Lorcan convinced or tricked the original spirits to create Mundus. The Daedra are the descendant spirits of the Etada who left during the creation of Mundus to retain their power. The Adra are the descendant spirits of the Etada who remained during the creation of Mundus, thus giving away a significant amount of their power. Now, if you've played the games, you recognize the Aedra and the Daedra. The Daedra are constantly interacting into Mundus, into the, into the human and the elven and the everybody else world, trying to influence people and, and do things. The Aedra are worshipped as the Eight, and eventually the Nine, and then back to the Eight again, who seem to be more standoffish. They don't seem as interactive with the world. And there might be reasons for that, because maybe the world is actually built from their power directly, and they are more subconsciously active in the world, more uh, spirits and elements of the world itself, rather than individual beings that 
come and visit the world and, and mess with the things that go on in the world. So there might be some sort of interplay there. It's very interesting. So let's go, let's back up a little bit. We're going to go back to Lorcan. What was Lorcan's plan with trying to get the Et'ada to create Mundus, to create this world? Now, according to the wiki, it says Anu and Padme's constant struggle had created a number of planes for the Et'ada to inhabit. So there's actually multiple planes, but not all of them were content. One called Lorcan, who was created by Sithis, approached the others with the plan to create their own plane. He proposed the creation of what would become the mortal plane, Mundus, and its population with beings of the Etada's creation, man, myrrh, and beast. Lorcan managed to convince a number of his peers to aid him in his plan, including Ariel, the soul of Ariel, Ariel. These divines are collectively referred to as the Adra, while the rest of the Etada are Daedra. These terms have no meaning during the Dawn Era, as they are explicitly relative to the Myrrh and their ancestral beliefs. So again, this is all in relation to what we know from the Elves. These Adra began to form the mortal plane, but soon realized that they were being tricked. Although Anu and Padme were infinite, the Etada were not. They realized that they were giving up parts of themselves to form this new world, something Lorcan, according to Mer tradition, was fully aware of. During this process, Lorcan's heart was removed and made into a magical stone. Now that's a whole nother story that we can get into. So it goes on to explain the, the departure of the gods. Many of the gods departed the mortal plane before it was complete. The chief among these was Magnus the architect of Lorcan's plan, who fled Mundus to return to Aetherius. His departure opened a hole in the barrier between planes, allowing magic to flood into Mundus. Not all of the gods chose to leave, however. Some, the eight divines, bound themselves to the new plane, but returned to their own planes in the end. These became the gods of many of the new inhabitants of the world and were seen from Nern as planets in the night sky. One group of these beings fully surrendered their divinity and formed the Elnofe. This now mortal race began to procreate in the physical sense and eventually diverged into the mortal races of the mythic era. The remaining divines, before leaving Nern to the mortals, created the Adamantine Tower and convened there to decide Lorcan's fate. So let's pause for a minute. Who are the El no fey? Well, the El no fey are man and myrrh and beast. They are, they are the descendants of the divine being who decided to become mortal and procreate and spawn all the intelligent races of the world. So all man, beast, and myrrh go back to this original being, this original divine being who became us. If let's let's do, and let's just go there. Let's pretend that we are part of this world. So the Khajiit that was just talking, he is divine, or at least a mortal who comes from the divine, the way everyone else is. Everybody else relates directly back to this story and comes directly from it. Now the wiki ends by saying, at the end of the Dawn era, Lorcan was permanently bound to his creation when his heart was ripped from his body and cast down to Tamriel. There, it would form Vardenfell, the Red Mountain Volcano. Now, you know this as the land of the Dark Elves. 
and remained dormant for thousands of years. The remaining gods then left Nern, allowing time to stabilize and flow linearly. This marked the start of recorded elven history and the beginning of the Merithic era. So that's the story of the beginning. And the story about Lorcan gets super interesting, super confusing. There's all sorts of different perspectives as to what actually goes on there. Um, but I'm not going to go too much into any of this stuff. It's a lot to digest all at once. If you need to go back and re-listen to some of this in order to make sure that you get it all straight, I don't blame you. You may want to listen a few times to each of the parts to understand all the connections to the parts. But in general, if you're looking at it from the view of the Khajiit up, the Khajiit is related to the divine being who helped make all men and myrrh and beasts. And that divine being is part of a bigger system that moves out into the souls of chaos and order. Uh, and then chaos and order itself. So everything connects back. Now, if you need other resources for this, if you go to the Twitter account at ESO Lorecast, you'll see some of the, the earliest posts that I do on that account. I just started that account up uh, this last week, and I've been putting information on there about the things that I've been researching as I research them. And if you go back a few days of posts, you'll see some really cool artwork people have done where they show exactly what happens and how everything is structured. Um, and there's some really neat uh, graphical representations of Mundus and the planets and Oblivion and Aetherius. And there's some, uh, some really great stuff. I, I highly recommend taking a look at that artwork. If I, if I could right now, you know, it would be a really cool idea is to get one or two of those printed in the form of like a, uh, oh, I bet, I bet places sell these in the form of like a, um, you know, like a poster and kind of frame it and put it up on a wall in my office. That would be super cool. The skies are marked with numberless sparks, each a fire and every one a sign. Come to me with questions. I know our history almost as well as Vignar by now. Except I can remember it. Yes, yes, you're entirely brilliant. Conquering madness and all that. Blah, 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 blah. So this is the part of the show where... I would usually answer questions and read some of the correspondence you guys send in, but it's the first episode, so I don't actually have any. <laughs> the other thing I wanted to mention, since we don't have any letters today, is uh, another correlation. Uh, in the main segment, I explained how there's a correlation between the Elder Scrolls universe and the origins of that universe and Zoroastrianism. But there's also correlations between the Elder Scrolls universe and other mythologies from other fictional writing. And I guess you could say the grandfather of all modern fiction is J.R.R. Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings stories, and um, specifically the world that he created in the Silmarillion. Now, some more background on myself. I'm probably a lot like you guys. I got into these stories because my dad was into the stories. Um, I remember reading The Hobbit in fifth grade. I hated reading any other books until I read The Hobbit in fifth grade. And then I felt like, oh man, this thing's deep. It uses words like hither and thither and things that I've never read before. This is, this does not feel like a kid's book, even though he wrote it as a kid's book. And it was interesting to me immediately throughout the next few years, throughout like my middle school years, I read through all of the Lord of the Rings books. And by the time I was in high school, I was deeply into the Silmarillion and the history of Middle Earth series. 
And in the Silmarillion, if you haven't, it's it's pretty dense. It's got some really interesting mythology, but parts of it do read like the Old Testament. So uh, if it's too dense for you, skip it. But if you are interested, read the opening chapters of the Silmarillion because there's a creation story there. And it's interesting. It's different in the sense that it begins with a singular God. So it is not a dualist system like the one we just talked about, uh, the Iluvatar or E, E-A, who um, basically creates all the other beings through music. And it's this wonderful symbolism about the the harmony of those beings and the dissonant voice that goes against the harmony. So you, now you've got chaos and order, which is super interesting, right? Another another corollary. Um, and then throughout this the story, you end up with the beings inhabiting a world and the the creature, the uh, not creature, the god of chaos, basically, who is Melkor or Morgoth comes into the world and is eventually defeated and it is thrown down. And instead of he's kind of like the Lorcan character in the Elder Scrolls series, but instead of being tethered to the planet and his heart being taken out and being a gem that's thrown into the ocean, he's actually removed from the planet and tethered outside of creation so that he can no longer interact with creation. So it's kind of the opposite. But in both cases, the world, the actual geography of the world is changed and in opposite ways. In the Elder Scrolls, Lorcan's heart is thrown into the sea and a volcano forms that creates the island of Vardenfell. In the Lord of the Rings stories, in the Silmarillion, uh, Morgoth is removed from the world. And in order to remove him from the world, the basically the other gods had to sunder the continent and send most of it to the bottom of the sea. So it's it's like exact opposites. So if you're interested in this stuff, I highly recommend if you haven't yet, check out some of that stuff. Just one other side note before I go. Um, if there are some really interesting developments in the in these games in updates to Elder Scrolls Online or announcements about the next Elder Scrolls main game, um, I might bring those up during one of the later segments of the show. Um, but this is not going to be a source for patch notes and those kinds of things. There's lots of other places you can go for that stuff and, and people who are doing that a lot better than I am. A visitor. What brings you to visit Yagram Bagar, Mastercrafter, and last living dwarf? And he says to the man, That's not a horker. That's my wife. <laughs> oh, I love that one. I would love to hear from you guys. ESO Lorecast on Twitter. So at ESO Lorecast or Elder Scrolls Lorecast at gmail.com. Send me your stuff. Um, if you do contact me on Twitter about something you want to specifically offer for reading in an episode, it helps if you send it via private message, because if you just at mention me, uh, it might get lost in the shovel because there's a lot of stuff that goes on there. Um, also, I want to uh, highly recommend tuning into my the ESO Lorecast Twitter feed where I will be posting updates on some of the some of the research I'm doing as I work on my content for each of the shows. Uh, there are lots of cool posts on there, some quotes and some things already up. So if you want some of that stuff popping up in your feed uh, throughout the week, 
uh, be sure to follow me on there. Also, one other place you can follow is on Twitch. And I didn't mention this yet in the show. Um, recently, I, I go by the name Robots. I used to stream a while ago. In fact, I, I would stream uh, Skyrim and role play my character. And he was afraid of horses and all sorts of crazy fun stuff. Um, and then I stopped streaming for a bit. But recently, um, I've had a lot of fun getting back into the streaming thing. But I changed the account name from Robots to Fallout Lorecast because that's the first uh, new podcast I started and I started out playing Fallout games. Now I'm starting to get back into Elder Scrolls Online too. So I only have one Twitch account, so I'm going to use the same Twitch account. So it looks a little funny to play Elder Scrolls Online as Fallout Lorecast, but whatever. So all that's to say, if you want to hang out in the evenings, um, anytime after like nine o'clock Eastern, uh, most nights in the week, uh, feel free to jump in there and check out what's going on. It, lots of people are fans of both games too. So that works well as well. And I'd also love to get together and play games with you online or hang out during the stream. So if you want to group up with me in Elder Scrolls Online, I'm robots on there. I'm also robots in Fallout 76, if that's something that you are interested in. And other than that, if you want to support the show... There are a few very specific things you can do that will make the biggest difference. One, tell a friend or 10 or 100. If you have somebody that you like playing these games with or who you know is also a fan of this universe, please let them know, hey, I'm listening to this new show. You should check it out. Elder Scrolls Lorecast. Uh, second, oh, we don't do any advertising. So that that's the biggest, the biggest thing. The next thing to do would be to rate and review the show on iTunes or whatever podcast app you're using. If it, ha if it takes ratings and reviews, um, that goes a long way and is very, very important to helping get more people listening to the show. Um, I'm going to take a pause. If you are from the Fallout Lorecast community and you rated or reviewed or helped promote that show, you guys are superstars. You are freaking amazing. You guys have been so, so, so helpful. I would love uh, for some more of your support if I can be as bold as to ask for that. I know I know it's you doing a show like this. You rely a lot on on the listeners. It's, it's really mostly you guys. It's me put, taking some time to put the show together, but it's the sum total of everything else you guys do that makes this possible, because ultimately, at the end of the day, this is something I'm doing for you guys. This is for the community. This is for us to interact and and to share a thing together. And if there's no buddy at the other end of this microphone, then there really isn't a reason to do it. So. I'm eternally thankful for everybody's help and everybody's support and every little thing you can do to, to help me know that this is what you guys want and to keep doing it. So I appreciate that. I will see you guys again soon on our show next week. Talk to you later. Thanks for listening to the Elder Scrolls Lorecast. All sounds and music are owned by Bethesda Softworks or Zenimax Studios, and no copyright infringement is intended. If you have something you'd like to contribute to the show, please reach out to us at elderscrollslorecast at gmail.com or on Twitter at ESOLorecast. I really appreciate you listening, and I'd love to hear from you soon.
Welp, looks like almost everyone's still dead, so traffic is at a standstill. <laughs> and now a word from our sponsor, because they're totally not bribing me with massive amounts of chems or anything. Seems as the stuffed shirts are back at the White Springs playing games with that total loser modus. But hey, if that's your thing, whatever. So if all you squares wanted to hear more, totally, sort of, but maybe not boring stories about rebuilding Appalachia and being all goody two-shoes, definitely not raiders, check out this thing they call a podcast, The Modus Files, whatever that's supposed to be, on Spotify, iTunes, and wherever else you listen to those things. Double-ug, they're not paying me enough for this. Till later.